The football season is almost here. This is Warren Sharp, and here at Sharp Football Analysis, there is no dead season. We've been working literally for months writing our 2022 football preview, and I will promise you this. This book is the fastest way for you to get smart for the upcoming season, period. I'm going to give you $5 off right now that's not offered anywhere else to use on your copy. This book is over 550 pages, full color, and previews all 32 NFL teams. It's got comprehensive fantasy football analysis. It's got every single line and total for every single game that's going to be played this upcoming season all the way through to week 18. It's got forecasted win totals. It's got betting advice. It's got predictions for the upcoming season and so much more. We're talking deep dives into all 32 teams and much, much more. There is simply nothing like this preview in the industry, and I can promise you that. So order your copy right now at sharpfootballanalysis.com and use coupon code ANGLES. That is A-N-G-L-E-S. Use coupon code ANGLES, and you will save $5 off your price. Go over to sharpfootballanalysis.com and pick up your copy today. What is going on, Sharp Football Fantasy family? This is the resident Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, and I'm here with another knocking on the door episode of the season. We've got games. They're going to be playing games this week. I saw Saquon's going to play. Dayball got him in. Uh, but we're going to watch some real football this week, an extension of the Hall of Fame game. But uh, definitely still just more preseason action as we're just a couple weeks now from the regular season, which I know everyone can't wait for. And to get everyone ready for the regular season and draft season, I had to call on a good friend of mine. I went on his show last week. Uh, so this is kind of, we joked and said this is kind of like when like you would watch like Urkel on TGIF, like go on step-by-step. Step. I don't know if that ever happened, but that's kind of like, it's a similar unit. We're all in the same podcast universe. Um, and I went on his show and we did our top five players to target each of us. And today we're going to run it back and do the inverse of that and talk about our top five guys. We're, we're more or less like we have trouble clicking on that are good players at the top of front of your drafts. Of course, that guest is JJ Zacharyson from the Late Round Podcast. JJ, what's going on, brother? What's up, man? Yeah, did Ur- did Urkel ever go on step by step? Because I feel like I know, that it sounded been... good in my head, so I went yeah, with it. What, what do we got? I feel like I feel like it was more of a step by step than Saved by the Bell type type <laughs> character, any or, uh, or 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 Full House type character, anyway um yeah I, I could see that crossover happening yeah yeah so i mean that's what we've got going on i i, I don't know if he for sure was but I, I think urkel appeared on some other show for sure at some point in time yeah uh, i'm sure so. i'm sure I, I think you're right i think you're right uh i can't i don't know which show it is but i i also remember they went through that whole stefan uh thing with, yes. with urkel for a while too that was a huge storyline within that show um and they they, they had to switch things up because it was you know getting a little dry it was the same thing over and over again they had to how to make him more of like a superhero. Yeah. Things got, got weird on that show. I think like what didn't want to like the daughters just like go upstairs and never come down on that show. Like just like, <laughs> they, just, like they just like missed one of the daughters of the show. Not <laughs> as we went, uh, you know, nostalgic on TGIF uh, where people, you know, kids, kids used to get around the TV on Friday nights and now uh, they actually have lives. They, they do other things. 
Yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah, that, that definitely the the uh, these these comments definitely just just blew over the head of of fifty percent of your audience. <laughs> but yeah, you and I did that show last week. After you listen to this show, make sure you go to JJ's show if you haven't checked out that podcast. Listen to our top players, the Target. Like I said, we're going to do kind of the inverse today. Um, it's not uh, an avoid list. Yeah, I think you, like me, are very pragmatic. You're a nuanced fantasy player. If a guy's going to fall way below ADP, he represents a value. There's a time where we will pounce on some of these players. But we also want to highlight good players at the front of drafts that we may be more, a little bit more on the glass half empty side. They're a little tougher to pick at ADP. So following that same arc that we did last week, I'll let you kick it off open form. It doesn't have to go position by position. You can just start wherever you want. Give me your first guy that JJ has kind of the toughest time to click draft on. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I'm going to start with quarterback. Uh, makes sense. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I've done a lot of of writing uh, and analysis on drafting quarterbacks late in fantasy football throughout my career, um, and so I'm going to go with the QB one in this year's fantasy football draft, uh, Josh Allen. And, and, you know, I, I have him as my QB one. So I think a lot mm-hmm. of people, and this is sort of like the Dalton Schultz thing where like, you know, I'm, I'm like against Dalton Schultz a little bit at his ADP. It just does, it seems like it's a little bit too high, but I still have Dalton Schultz as my tight end six, which is exactly where, you know, he's being drafted. You have to look beyond the position. Um, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're looking at this stuff, you know, there's an opportunity cost involved, right? Um, I just see a very clear gap uh, in ADP, whenever you're analyzing ADP between Josh Allen and a lot of these other quarterbacks that are up top, whether it's a Kyler Murray, whether it's a Jalen Hurts, when realistically, I don't think that that's necessary or it's as necessary as what we're seeing. Um, Allen right now is 23rd on Fantasy Pros uh, aggregate ADP. Uh, I know he goes a little bit later if you're doing a best ball draft and such, but you know, generally speaking, if you're talking like home leagues or something, it's probably going to be a, a, a second round pick in a lot of home leagues this year. Uh, whereas a guy like Kyler, guy like Jalen Hurts, you're getting end of the fifth round, you know, past the fifth round for those guys oftentimes. Um, and, and really, you know, it, it seems like, oh, that's only three rounds. Uh, but the opportunity cost involved there is absolutely massive. You know, people are going to be taking Josh Allen over like very, very legitimate potential bell cow backs like Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley. Um, when those two, the, the first two and a half rounds of fantasy drafts have historically brought way, way better hit rates at both running back and wide receiver than what you're going to see, you know, where those other quarterbacks are being drafted, like a Kyler Murray or a Jalen Hurst. Just as an example, uh, back half round two running backs in 12 team leagues have given us 14 PPR points per game at a 70% rate since 2011. Uh, that number is 10% in the back half of the fifth round. So just to give you an idea of what the opportunity cost is at running back, between where Kyler is going or where Jalen Hurts is going versus where Josh Allen's going. And there's other, you know, you could talk about Lamar, you could throw him in there. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are sort of going in that other range. Um, and then obviously, you know, you you can get wide receivers in that second round too. Another place where they have pretty good hit rates. The back half of second round wide receivers have scored 14 plus PPR points per game at a 76% rate. Uh, that number drops to about 46% when you get to the back half of the fifth. So that just sort of illustrates the running back dead zone. You know, the, the running backs are a lot worse in the fifth round than wide receivers are. But even still, you're seeing a decline, uh, a pretty big decline in value there, wide receiver and running back, when you're looking at the back half of the second to the back half of the fifth to the front half of the sixth, et cetera. Um, you know, it's fine. I, I think to get to get an elite quarterback in fantasy right now, it's fine if you want to go that route. Um, you know, I talk a lot about the predictability of the position. It's a lot different than what we've seen or what we did see back in 2015, 2016, where you could literally throw a dart 
at top 18 quarterbacks. And one of those quarterbacks might end up as a QB one. We just don't see that anymore. You know, the last couple of years, we've seen really, really strong predictability at the position among top 12 quarterbacks. A lot of that has to do with the fact that people are finally catching on to something that Rich wrote about uh, that, that you wrote about back in 2013 on number fire about uh, mobile quarterback and the Konami code. Uh, people are finally catching on to all of that. Um, but regardless, you know, I, I can understand buying into that predictability a little bit because you want to have that stability at the position where it's a lot harder to stream now. It's a lot harder to replace that position. But, you know, when you look at projections, Josh Allen is the QB one in my projections. You know, Josh Allen is my QB one overall. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think it would shock anyone if Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts finish above him. Whereas if you sort of compare and contrast some of the fifth round wide receivers or running backs versus the second round guys, you know, it's, it's a little less clear and it's, it's not as obvious uh, to see that, that sort of, or sorry, it's, it's, it's more clear as to who uh, you'd be drafting a running back and wide receiver in the second round versus, versus the fifth. So this is really just a cost play. You know, I, I like Josh Allen, like I said, as a QB one, but I think there's enough reason, you know, to not go that route from a game theory perspective and just opt to go with like a Jalen Hurts or a, or a Kyler Murray. Yeah, I mean, being the first quarter, the first gamer in your league to draft a quarterback is something that uh, I think you and I will never subscribe to. And then also when you just look at it from a top-down stance, I mean, the last time the QB won in, in, in ADP was the actual QB1 overall scoring was Aaron Rodgers in 2011. Uh, the last time the QB1 was even above QB4 in, in overall season scoring hasn't happened in nine seasons. So there's the margin for error missing on a quarterback factoring in opt- opportunity cost is just so tough. And even you look at last year, how great Josh Allen was. He had over 400 fantasy points. Justin Herbert still produced 95% of what Josh Allen put out. Tom Brady still produced 93%. It's just a low leverage point position and you have to be there early and you have to need so much to go right based on the opportunity cost. It's just tough, but Josh Allen, super fun to watch play football uh definitely one of our favorite guys to watch but yeah you just can't be the first person in your league to take a quarterback that, that that's that's another thing i just want to add that's another thing that i think goes overlooked so often when you're drafting quarterbacks is that if you're the first team to draft a quarterback you better hope and pray yes. that someone else in your league is drafting a quarterback very quickly after otherwise you really really devalue that position because hypothetically if you get josh allen in the second round or the, even the third round and someone waits in that QB two, like Justin Herbert or Kyle, what if they go in the eighth or ninth round? Then all of a sudden you really screwed up in getting that value. Whereas if you're able to mm-hmm. get like the QB four, QB five or something like that within that elite tier, uh, you generally know the price point for quarterbacks at that point. So it's a lot easier to buy into them. Yeah. Let me ask you a question in relation to that. Cause I answered this question on a podcast that I was on for pro football focus. Where would be the point you would take Josh Allen in a fantasy draft? Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's the point in time that I've answered pretty much the same mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. It's like that mid fourth range. It's like that, like, you know, I can understand end of the third if you really want, because uh, what we've seen historically is after the first two and a half rounds, both at running back, definitely at running back. I mean, that's really where the running back dead zones begins is like that late third into the fourth round. Um, and, and so it's a lot easier to, to get a non running back at that point. And then obviously there's really, really strong wide receivers then in the third, you know, late third into the fourth and into the fifth historically. Um, but I think that you could, you know, late third, if you wanted to opt into Josh Allen, but I would only do that again. I would only do that if I knew that my league was going to be willing to spend up at the quarterback position. You know, there's, you know, we're doing a, an expert league right now where people are going to naturally wait at the quarterback position. And if, you know, Josh Allen ended up slipping, but if someone would have drafted Josh Allen in the third or fourth, you knew 
that that it would have been a de- devalued pick eventually, right? Because mm-hmm. because people are going to draft quarterbacks a little bit later. But I think overall, like I can understand late third to some degree, especially you know this is this is not applicable to best ball as much because you know spiked weeks are spiked weeks in terms of like the tournament formats and stuff like that. It's not really as applicable. But if you're looking at a managed league, uh, I would say you know I think I have them ranked like as like a mid fourth round pick right. Yeah, and I was in a similar boat in terms of raw answer, and then I said the same thing. I said, but my base answer is basically never because I don't know when the QB two is going to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're you're at the mercy at the position, uh, like you said. You could you could it could be multiple rounds before the QB two goes, and then like you said, you've lost all that value at that position. I'll stay with quarterback since you start with quarterback. Uh, I think Joe Burrow is the worst quarterback at ADP, but I'm actually going to start with the guy I have the trouble, the most trouble selecting at his ADP. And it might be a little hot takey because I am the Swami of Konami. And it's Lamar Jackson, who, if you look at general population leagues, is he's the QB4 across every major site that's playing in ADP. Uh, ESPN, Yahoo, uh, you know, Sleeper, Fantrax, all those. He's just the QB4. He's locked into that spot. And for me, that's just a tough spot for me to take him. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a guy that's gotten significantly worse all three years as a passer over his career. Even last year, he was the QB nine in points per game. You look at his layout in with the Ravens. Uh, there's not a lot to be excited about. It's very top heavy. Again, it's Mark Andrews and we need Rashad Bateman to take a step. I'm a Rashad Bateman believer. I know you are as well. So we do believe in that. But if either one of those players to get hurt, that's a significant blow to this offense. The Ravens also have our worst projected passing schedule, one of our worst projected passing schedules here. It's actually 27th. Um, he gets that opening draw against the Jets, but then look at his opening stretch before his bye. I mean, he gets then he gets the Miami Dolphins, the Patriots, the Bills, the Bengals, the next four games after week one. He also gets the Buccaneers, the Browns, and the Saints all prior to his week 10 bye. For his career against top 10 pass defenses, Lamar Jackson's just thrown for 6.1 yards for pass attempt. Um, and then when you look at, uh, you know, where we're chasing the 2019 campaign for Lamar Jackson, like how much does that still anchor our expectations for Lamar Jackson? His floor is high due to rushing, but he's only been a floor player since the MVP season. He had nine games of the top three fantasy score in 2019. He's had just four since. So the rushing has kept him with the floor, but where's that ceiling been? Uh, I look at a guy as a parallel to him as Jalen Hurts being very similar to Lamar Jackson as you can get him as arbitrage and fantasy drafts and everything for Jalen Hurts peripherals look, just look better than Lamar Jackson. He's got a better offensive line. He's got better pass catchers. He's got an easier schedule than Lamar Jackson. You can have him cheaper. So I like Lamar Jackson, obviously for how I play fantasy. If he were to fall in drafts to like QB seven, QB eight, then I'm pouncing all over that. But QB four, I have a real hard time clicking his name there. The other thing about the Ravens is that they ran a lot of plays last year. And, you know, a lot of people look at what happened the previous season to sort of dictate how they draft in the current season. They had the 11th uh, most plays run by any team since 2011 last year. That's usually a number that regresses year over year. Uh, you know, if you just look at how teams have regressed historically with a number like they had, uh, you know, they're, they're going to drop in plays by over four per game, which is not insignificant. I mean, it seems insignificant when you look at it from a game by game basis, but multiply that out. And it's not insignificant. And then the other thing with Baltimore, they had a way higher pass rate last year than what we've seen, uh, you know, previously under Greg Roman. Uh, that's going to be see some regression more than likely with their running backs being healthy and them not running these random veterans off the street, you know, as their lead backs, their secondary is healthier. So hopefully the defense is a little bit better to keep them into games and to not have these like negative game scripts. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that doesn't affect 
Lamar in like a major, major way. Cause obviously, you know, the rushing component is there for him, but I, I do think about how they score touchdowns too. Right. I mean, that that's, that's the biggest component here is uh, if, if a lot of those scores end up being more on the ground, that could benefit more of a JK Dobbins than it would uh, Lamar. Although obviously he can scamper in as well. So there's just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I agree overall, you know, if, if you're looking at that tier, just in general, like that group of, of dual threat quarterbacks, just get the cheapest one, right? Like just yep. get, get the guy like Jalen hurts, who I was talking about before, who, uh, you know, has, I mean, honestly, a better environment than Lamar does and is going to score points in a really similar way. It's just a lot easier to go that route. Absolutely. All right. So open board here. You got running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. Where are we taking it here? Let's go to wide receiver. This is someone I, I feel like I haven't talked about him that much this offseason because the situation's just like, it, it's pretty obvious what's going on there uh, mm-hmm. just in terms of like, how the fantasy community is viewing it and such. Uh, but it's DK Metcalf. You know, I, I think in sharper drafts, he's going to drop, uh, you know, even the draft that we were doing with a bunch of analysts, like he, he fell, uh, you know, more than what you're going to see in like a best ball or a home league draft. Um, but if you look at aggregate half PPR ADP, he's still going ahead of players like DJ Moore and Mike Williams uh, in drafts, which I would take those guys over him pretty easily at this point. Um, you know, it, it's really situation-based. We know that DK Metcalf, you know, the, the, the theme here is that these are good players who we just generally are having a tough time drafting. Um, but we know that DK Metcalf situation is just not great. You know, you get Geno Smith, uh, that's likely going to be the starter at this point. Sounds like at least, um, you know, Geno did start three games last year and Metcalf in those three games. And a lot of people will look at these splits and, uh, you know, be excited about the fact that he was a PPR wide receiver th- 33, 12 and nine in those three starts. Mm-hmm. And he averaged over a 25% target share per game. Uh, but 25% target share per game was actually lower than what he had seen throughout the rest of the season. It was closer to 28% uh, when Russ was healthy. And then on top of that, those performances, uh, he scored three touchdowns uh, you know, throughout those three games. He was averaging a touchdown per game, which doesn't really, I mean, we, we can't expect that to happen. He accounted for 50% of, of Seattle's scores across those three starts because they scored six uh, offensive touchdowns. And so, you know, that kind of touchdown share, you just cannot bank on, you know, week after week and, and, and season after season, even whenever you're projecting this stuff. Um, and, you know, Seattle's another team too. I will say Seattle should run more plays this year than they did last year. Oh, last yeah. year, they were third lowest since 2011 in plays run. It's almost impossible to be as slow as they were last season uh, at running plays. But at the same time, uh, we know that they are a, they, they want to run uh, the football, they're going to be a fairly conservative offense, not only just because of the quarterback situation, but because of the coaching situation and their general philosophy. Uh, but they also have, you know, they have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Uh, they have the worst starting quarterback situation in the league. I just think when I look at DK Metcalf, could he meet ADP expectation given all of this? Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's definitely possible because Metcalf's a monster. Um, and we saw, you know, I, I, even that game with Geno Smith, he had that long, long touchdown that really boosted him that one week. And like those, those plays are going to happen. So maybe you can walk away from this and be like, I'll just get my exposure to Metcalf in best ball formats and not worry about it as much uh, in a season long format, even though that's sort of a cop out thing to do. Um, but I, I, I do worry about where the ceiling is coming from with DK Metcalf. I mean, the, the, the environment within this offense is going to be putrid in their current, in this current state. And it doesn't look like the current state is really changing unless Jimmy Garoppolo comes walking out uh, and is able to, to join Seattle, which, you know, I don't know if is, is very likely at this point. So uh, I just worry about the range of outcomes here. I worry about the ceiling here. And again, if you look at more of the like home league ADP and such, and I always have to caveat with the ADP stuff because there's, there's different sources everywhere now and there's all these different platforms and some of the platforms appear a little bit sharper and, 
Some of them are a little bit more casual, which is totally fine. That's just the nature of, of what we do and the nature of fantasy football. But in your home league drafts and, and, and in these, you know, your office league drafts, DK Metcalf's going to probably go too high um, as just, a, just because of his name. Um, you know, if he's dra- being drafted over DJ Moore and Mike Williams, I'm, I'm not doing that at all this season. So that's, that's the main reason I've, I've had a harder time drafting him. Yeah, DK is someone I definitely, you know, struggle with altogether. I mean, you look at he's his past 25 games, he's he's hit 90 yards just four times. Uh, in 27 career games without a touchdown, he's finished higher than wide receiver 26 just once. Uh, he's been a wide receiver two or better in his games that a touchdown, just 3.7% of his games that a touchdown. It's 42nd among the top 45 wide receivers drafted in current ADP. Uh, just a very tough player to get a grasp on. And then you talk about just the, his gap from Tyler Lockett is also pretty significant, yeah. which doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then you laid out the, the team situation. Obviously, you lose Russell Wilson. Seattle is a team that is due massive amounts of scoring rush anyways. Look at this. So they scored on – 36% of their drives last year, that was 21st in the NFL. But they were still 11th in the NFL in touchdown scored. And they were 14th in touchdown rate per drive. They had this all-or-nothing approach on offense where they either went three plays or punted or they scored like an 80-yard touchdown. Yeah. They were second in the NFL in touchdowns scored on drives needing only one to three plays uh, behind the Bengals. They were second in touchdown scored outside the red zone, again, only behind the Bengals. And they were 23rd in the NFL in drives that went three and out. So, like, a lot of their play value was due to that. It wasn't that they were necessarily, like, slow per second, which they still were, but it's because their drives either went three plays, they scored an 80-yard touchdown, and yep. <laughs> they, didn't, they yep. weren't able to run any plays. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, very very unique team and u- unique conditions. My biggest thing is even when I get to the point where I, I think, oh, is DK starting to be a value, is what you said. If I draft him as the wide receiver 30 and he's a wide receiver 24, what the hell did I really get? Right. And that's what, you see this a lot in analysis out in the fantasy streets now. It's like, hey, this guy has been the tight end nine three years in a row and he goes to the tight end 12. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Like he like, should be going tight end 12 if that's the case. Like, you know? Okay. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. So, I mean, DK is definitely a guy, I think when you look at just where he's going in drafts, you're like, yeah, I'm just basically kicking the can here, right? He's not a guy I think that has necessarily a high ceiling due to team environment, which is a bummer because he's shown that he does have an elite touchdown ceiling. But, uh, yeah, definitely one of my toughest guys to draft, even even when I think he is a value. So I'm totally lockstep with you there. Uh, I'm going to the front, the front of the drafts here. Uh, I'm going with Debo Samuel. Uh, arguably coming off one of the most unique seasons we've ever seen a wide receiver have in NFL history. And that alone is kind of something tough to bank on. Uh, But even if he goes back to playing a lot more receiver than running back, he was fifth in the NFL in receiving yards last year. He was 54th in routes run. He was 26th in targets. Uh, After 14.1 yards per catch and 11.8 yards per catch his first year, he averaged 18.2 yards per catch last year. Just absolutely insane. Uh, so if the, if it ends up being more of just the volume can't refill some of those like efficiencies dropping, uh, San Francisco is definitely in that bucket where we have to question that happening. There were 31st in pass attempts per game last year, and that was with a non-mobile quarterback. Now we have to, you know, factor in Trey Lance. Could it even go lower potentially? Uh, then we have to factor in just the massive touchdown regression. And anytime we have a guy explode solely on touchdowns, I'm always hesitant to reinvest in that player highly next year. Um, Debo Samuel, nine red zone targets last year, 79th in the NFL, four targets inside the 10-yard line, just two while standing in the end zone. 
He did have 14 red zone rushing attempts to kind of circumvent some of that, but he had just one carry inside the five-yard line. The 49ers had 14 as a team, and that's without Trey Lance taking any. Uh, he ended up scoring 13 of his 16 touchdowns, including the postseason, from 10 yards out or further, while 54% of all NFL touchdowns are scored inside of 10 yards. Uh, only Austin Eckler outproduced out his touchdown total uh, higher than Debo Samuel. The difference is that Austin Eckler still – from a projected total stance, still ranked high amongst league leaders. Debo Samuel projected t- touchdowns was 55th. Um, so we have all these kind of pulling factors in here. Debo Samuel, now when he's played, he's been a good football player. Anytime he's played two-thirds or more of the snaps, he's averaged 17.7 PPR points per game. That obviously factors in a lot of last year. Um, so he's been good. But anytime I'm on the clock and I see Debo there in the second round as like the top available wide receiver – I have trouble picking him. And then when we factor in like rankings or like tiers, I also have trouble just moving him down because the position itself just opens wide up, like after the top six or seven guys. So he's a guy like rankings don't even really reflect how I feel about this player from a fantasy stance, just because he's hard to move down in context of the position. But I definitely have a hard time drafting him. I'm with you. I'm with you. And we can't lose sight of the Trey Lance move either uh, for a couple of reasons. I think, I think one of them is more of a X's and O's thing where they're probably going to take more deep shots than they did with Jimmy Garoppolo, just given the nature oh, yeah. of Trey Lance. And so that's likely going to benefit a guy like Brandon Ayuk a little bit more than, than Debo Samuel. Uh, but then on top of that, I actually looked at, at some, some research from my draft guide and I looked at uh, quarterbacks uh, since 2011 who accounted for, who played at least eight games and accounted for a 20% rush share uh, in those eight games, they're mobile quarterbacks, right? For for wide receiver ones to be productive in those offenses, they needed about a three percent higher target share in that offense in order to hit that mark. So you know, which which makes sense intuitively, right? Not only mm-hmm. is it a more run heavy offense generally, but when you get these mobile quarterbacks, they're just taking away more plays just in general. Um, and so uh, it's it's just not you know it's it's not the best environment I think for Debo to to come close to repeating what he did last year. But I agree with you because right after Debo, you get into this like you know T Higgins and Michael Pittman type range and these guys who I love and I'm drafting way more. I mean I, I barely have drafted Debo, but you know it's it's like do you really rank Debo below those guys given what he showed last year? Because mm-hmm. both of us agree he's an unbelievable player. Like like it's just it, it's hard to sort of detach yourself from that. But I think environmentally um, and just sort of looking at, at regression. And uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people too, you know, we don't know exactly how he's going to be used in the backfield this year uh, you know, versus, versus how they utilize him during that second half, you know, it's really nice and clean how like the first eight of his games, he uh, wasn't yeah. used that much as a running back. And then the second eight that he played, he was a running back. So it was like a perfect clean split. And everyone's like, Oh, but he was still great as a wide receiver. Well, he was averaging a 33% target share per game. Don't forget that. That mm-hmm. was during a stretch where Brandon Ayuk was sort of in the doghouse with Kyle Shanahan. Um, and once that sort of shifted, um, things just shifted in, in an offense in general. Good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm just nervous about Debo uh, overall. I would much be much rather draft a guy like Ayuk a little bit later. Um, just, just given the ADP. Right on. All right. Where are you taking us next here? Let's go to David Montgomery. Um, you know, I, I think that, that, I almost wish that the reports recently haven't surfaced because I probably mm-hmm. would have talked about Montgomery regardless, but you know, in situations like this, I think uh, a lot of assumptions get made about running backs and their potential workload. When you see uh, changes with the front office and with, with uh, coaching staff, et cetera. Um, you know, I think a lot of people just assume that, 
David Montgomery is going to see the role that he's seen over the last couple of years, which has been an awesome role. Let's, let's at least throw that out there. I mean, uh, last year, only Najee Harris had a higher snap rate per game. Two years ago, David Montgomery was first in the NFL in snap rate per game. So he's on the field all the time. It's an unbelievable role. Um, but we're looking at a running back uh, who's just seen a lot of work by default from being on the field. Uh, but that was with a completely different coaching staff, mm-hmm. completely new team or a completely different team. Uh, and, and now there's already reports of them splitting that backfield up a little bit more. And he's getting the, uh, the, the special team reps, which I thought was hilarious that they're, they're throwing <laughs> them on special teams, which I mean, like, I don't think it's nothing. Uh, the, the fact that that's happening. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that you just like take that to the bank, but I do think it's a little bit I mean, like, it's at least something, there's something there that they're not looking at David Montgomery as this like prized possession in their backfield. And I don't think that they should, if we're being honest, you know, if you look at, uh, at, at what happened last season with Khalil Herbert, um, you know, uh, Khalil Herbert was better than Montgomery at gaining 20 plus yards per rush. He was better than Montgomery in success rate last year. He was the only running back and he was a rookie, by the way, he was the only running back to rush for hundred yards against Tampa Bay last year. And only Dalvin cook had done that over the last two years. Uh, my prospect model with Khalil Herbert, my prospect model has a metric called draft capital Delta, which essentially looks at a player's prospect score and it compares it to where he was drafted. And it can show if a player was generally overdrafted or underdrafted last year, he had the third best draft cap best draft capital Delta in the running back class. I think Khalil Herbert is very good is, is basically what I'm saying. I, yeah. I think he's a, a really strong running back. And so if you get this, like this new coaching staff and they're going to look at things in a, with a more objective lens then they can sit there and say, oh, Khalil Herbert might not be any worse. If not, he might be better than David Montgomery. And so if that's the case, you know, it's not like they're the ones who drafted Montgomery. It's not like they have any ties to Montgomery. So I don't think that we should just assume that David Montgomery is going to be first or second in the NFL and snap rate this year. It just doesn't make any logical sense to me. So to me, Montgomery is just like the most standard dead zone running back imaginable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Khalil Herbert is a, a nice little dart late right now. Um, Cause I, I do think he's just a very strong running back uh, from a talent perspective. And the gap between these two guys probably shouldn't be as great as it is. Yeah. I mean, and Tristan Ebner is a really good receiving yeah. back too. That's gotten some buzz in camp. Uh, definitely. We saw when David Montgomery was sharing that role with Tariq Cohen a couple years ago, he wasn't that guy that we just counted, counted on that volume. Uh, yeah. I'm with you lockstep on that one. Just he's profiles just as the classic dead zone running yeah. back. And that's just easy to avoid like guys like him and, kind of Josh Jacobs. And we're seeing Josh Jacobs in a similar vein is in a similar situation. You get a new coaching staff. Now he was a first round pick. So they had declined his, his fifth round, fifth year option. Right. Whereas Dave Montgomery, what's well, even available. Uh, but if Dave Montgomery had a fifth year option available, do we believe they would have picked it up? No, I mean, probably pretty questionable. Uh, yeah. And we've seen that kind of bear out in some of the, the, how we've seen the handling of those two players in camps. I feel like those two players are very much on a similar trajectory. Uh, I'm going to go to the top of the draft again. Okay, I, I I don't know if I'm just getting the hot takes out early while I can or not, but uh, I, I definitely understand why this player is going there, why he's ranked and projected where he is. But man, every time that he's the top player available, I find myself going in a different direction, and it's Najee Harris. Uh, and I'll see what you say about this being the the Pittsburgh fan that you are. Uh, I mean, listen, he was exactly as advertised coming out of Alabama. It's a reliable workhorse that doesn't need to come off the field that you can build at the running back position. He played 170 more snaps than the next closest running back. And as a byproduct of that, you know, he led all running backs with 381 touches. He had 74 catches as well. On a per-game basis, he was second and fifth uh, in those categories. 
the, the, the one knock on Harris was just the same thing we saw as the case in college. He's just not an extremely explosive player. Just 9.1% of his carries gained 10 or more yards. That was 31st among 53 qualifying, qualifying players with 100 more carries. He had just two plays all season that gained 25 or more yards. And to his own kind of credit and defense, the Pittsburgh offensive line was as bad as advertised. They were 30th in ESPN's run block win rate. They were 24th in overall run blocking grade at pro football focus. They were 28th in adjusted line yards created at football outsiders. No matter which place you want to go to, they were bad. Uh, but the downside is also that line is just not subjectively really that much better on paper heading into 2022. And look at last year, he had the most carries in the NFL facing six or fewer defenders in the box, 144 of his carries. He averaged just 4.4 yards per, uh, yards per carry on his carries was a full yard below the league average. He averaged just 1.4 yards prior to contact on those carries where the offensive line had basically leverage. Uh, that was the third lowest yards prior to contact on those runs of all running backs of 50 or more carries. Only Javante Williams and Joe Mixon had a lower yards prior to contact than that. Uh, we also have to question the situation now with the changeover with Ben Roster. Could it be better or could it be worse? Uh, you know, could there be a massive target reduction with now teams don't have to worry about, you know, this offense running around the pop gun arm of Ben Roethlisberger. Najee Harris had 60 targets last year that were either behind at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. The next closest running back had 39 mobility of Mitchell Trubisky and potentially Kenny Pickett allows the Steelers now to kind of cater their offense more to Matt Canada's play calling style. We should see a lot more, you know, quarterback rollouts, a lot more quarterback runs than we saw at Ben Roethlisberger. Um, while I totally understand why Najee Harris goes where he goes, why he's projected where he goes, I always find myself when he comes up, maybe wanting to go with a wide receiver and then catching a running back coming back around as my RB1, then taking him. Uh, just feels like, you know, Edwin, Edwin Porras called this like, you know, just ordering vanilla ice cream. I feel that is very much apropos of what we're getting with Najee Harris. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in total agreement. The other thing with Pittsburgh is that over the last two years, they've been second in the NFL behind only Tampa Bay and pass rate. I mean, they, they've thrown the ball so much uh, with Ben Roethlisberger because they had this makeup makeshift offensive line. Uh, they had this immobile quarterback um, and, and he didn't want to get sacked. You know, his time to throw was immediate, um, which really benefited two players. Mostly it was Deontay Johnson. It really benefited and it really benefited Najee Harris this past year. The only, if I were to play devil's advocate, cause I agree with you. I, I he, he is one of those players where it's just very, very difficult for me to, to hit draft, you know, like, you know, like oftentimes, you know, sometimes they'll fall to the second and some of these best ball drafts, it's easier to do it there. But in the first, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just getting Dalvin cook or I'm getting like a Joe Mixon or something in the late first or at the, at that one, two turn. Um, but the one positive with Najee Harris is they still don't have anyone behind nope. him. They still have not filled that RB two spot effectively. We'll see what happens during cutdowns Cause I think there's going to be some intriguing names out there who could fit really well. I thought a player who would have worked really well as a backup for them as a day three pick was Kevin Harris, who ended up going to New England. And now New England's got Ty Montgomery that they really seem to like uh, that could play maybe the James White role. And then if Pierre Strong makes it, then all, all of a sudden Kevin Harris is, is not going to make the team or maybe he's a practice squad guy. So like there's going to be players like that who can, who can, you know, shoulder a, a, a decent workload, you know, obviously not as talented as a guy like Najee, but uh, they need to do something with that backup spot because right now, you know, Benny Snell's not going to cut it. And you know, they've been, they've, they've had guys coming in and out all, all camp and such, but um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to, to get by uh, with, with, with that sort of depth. That's the only positive though uh, with Najee Harris situationally. Uh, I, I think everything going from what they were, how they were operating with Roethlisberger 
to, to how they're going to operate here, it's hard to really look at the positives with Najee Harris. Yeah, I feel that one will get the most blowback here, but let's see if you could trump it. Yeah, so I'll go. I'll go with an easier one. Uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, Antonio Gibson here as as the next one. Uh, it's really similar logic to like a Jacobs or a David mm-hmm. Montgomery. Um, obviously, this is the same regime though. So uh, you know, they they remember last year there were talks that he was the next Christian McCaffrey, um, and then all of a sudden JD McKissick was was that that uh, receiving threat as Christian McCaffrey in that offense. But, uh, you know, when we thought McKissick was going to go to Buffalo, then he sort of did that 180 and went back to Washington. We were all excited. Oh, this is going to unleash Antonio Gibson. But McKissick coming back, that's a ho- that's horrible news for him. McKissick on, a, on an adjusted, so a per-game target share perspective last year, he was at a 15% target share. Antonio Gibson through two seasons has yet to see more than a 10% target share, which is huge, obviously, uh, both in, in any format, but especially in PPR formats. Um, and then, and then obviously what the commanders did in the draft, they went out day two pick, they took Brian Robinson. I don't think either of us are like hype about Brian Robinson as a player, but he's still a guy who can, who can shoulder a big workload and carry a big workload. Um, and he's someone who, who obviously showed that this past year, but you know, a lot of people have like, you know, he's been buried on, he was buried on the Alabama depth chart, et cetera, et cetera. But even with these like very good running backs that came out of Alabama while Brian Robinson was there, he was still getting some love in that offense ever since he was a freshman. He was still catching some passes, still getting some looks on the ground. Um, you know, I don't think he's like this horrific uh, running back asset, but at the same time, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think he's like a stud per se. But if you look at what Washington did through their actions, day two pick, uh, and then what Ron Rivera has been saying uh, to, to the media, how he sees this as a D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart type situation. <laughs> what does that tell you? It tells you that they want to split the backfield. They brought McKissick back. They have Brian Robinson there. As much as we like Antonio Gibson, the talent, and as, as intriguing as he's been as a talent, I think a lot of this move in getting Brian Robinson in particular was because Gibson has not been able to stay healthy. Um, and, and whether or not that's logical or, you know, or not, uh, teams care about that kind of stuff. And so, mm-hmm. uh, if that's the case, you know, if a team wants to throw another running back on the field, then he's that other running back's not going to be as valuable in fantasy football. That's just what it comes down to. There's also, uh, reports about Brian Robinson seeing the short yardage, uh, the goal line work and that kind of stuff. So if Antonio Gibson is now a between the twenties type guy without seeing a lot of work through the air, then why are we drafting him where we're, where we're drafting? Him? I mean, even the, the aggregate ADP over on fantasy pros, Antonio Gibson's still like a three, four turn pick. Uh, and to me, he should be more of a middle round pick, like seventh, eighth round type guy at this point, just because uh, you can just get this kind of production later in your draft. It's a very replaceable type player. Yeah, this is a situation. I think you literally you follow what they're telling us exactly. They're, they're being kind of an open book and not only what they've said, but how they've acted on, on what they've said. Uh, Antonio Gibson's already a guy that hasn't been really good unless he's been finding the end zone because he doesn't catch passes when J.D. McKissick's been available. He's missed time. Washington, in the time that he's missed, really haven't had an answer. So you definitely want a guy to take some carries. And if Brian Robinson just thwarts any amount of goal line carries at all, like it's just a huge problem for Antonio right. Gibson. I'm just going to easily follow that situation and not touch it. Same thing like with Miles Sanders telling us not to draft him, but cool. Like I'm, 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 I'm going to follow your advice. Uh, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm going to do. So again, just another classic guy to, to kind of avoid here. Um, I've got one more running back as well. My my kind of tweener guy, because we said five, uh, so we had kind of an open book, but I'm going to two running backs as well. And my guy is Cam Akers. Um, and I, I want to, to really see the, the upside in Cam Akers. I mean, I, I know that there's a, a path where it exists, but like it still feels like it's being cooked into where he goes and drafts uh, a little heavier than where 
I feel like I wanted to take him in drafts. Uh, we know that he has potential to be a lead running back on a, one of the league's best offenses. We like those guys. Um, but on one hand, we've got a very small sample of Cam Akers, like kind of being a workhorse in the NFL. We even saw in the Super Bowl when Daryl Henderson was available to play, they used him in passing downs. Uh, is that something that happens again? Also, like, where is the receiving floor here for the for the Rams backs? I mean, they're 31st and 32nd in, in league target rate to their backfields the past two seasons since basically Todd Gurley left. Uh, I'm not going to punish him for the Achilles thing at all, but what I am going to punish, you know, Akers for a little bit is that the Rams were a bad running team last year, and they project to kind of be worse again this year. They were 31st in the league in EPA per run last year, and now they've lost two starting offensive linemen in Andrew Whitworth and Austin Corbett. An in-house replacement for Whitworth, uh, but you know how how much of you know an upgrade are they getting? Probably not one at all. They also paired with that have our 31st ranked rushing schedule again. You know, one of Acres' defenses, like he faced all these good defenses when he came back. Well, guess what? He's got another terrible layout again. Um, so when I when I want to get invested in Acres, I want to see the pros. But then anytime I see I have to take him at like RB 16 or RB 18, I just can't do it. Yeah, man. I mean, it's wild that that it's basically like if you look at at running back targets, pure targets, even like like when you factor in uh, how these offenses operate, the only team that's seen fewer targets uh, over the last couple of seasons has been Baltimore, which we know they just don't target their running backs target share. As you noted, they've been uh, uh, very, very low. Um, but the, the other thing with Acres too, is if you want to you know look at coach speak a little bit, which I think you should at least like look at what coaches are saying. You don't have to just draft off of it, but McVeigh just last week had a quote where he said that they feel like they have two starting running backs on their team between Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers. And, you know, I don't think that you need to make the argument. You know, a lot of people will, will talk about how, how bad and how inefficient Akers was in the playoffs last year. And like, that's the reason why they're not drafting him this year. I think it's right. kind of irrelevant because his, his, his success rate was still better than Sony Michelle's last year. They mm-hmm. faced a lot of good rush defenses. I, I really don't think that's relevant to this picture of Cam Akers. I think what's concerning is the fact that they don't throw to their running backs and Daryl Henderson was actually pretty effective last year. So if they do use Henderson in a third down role, if they do use Henderson at all as this like compliment, then Cam Akers is a two down back who, yeah, he's probably going to score some touchdowns, but uh, it's just a really, really tough buy. And again, he's one of those players where if you look at some of these like home league ADP sources, he's going in the third round. And, And that's just a very, very difficult price point for him. Absolutely. Uh, so we do have tight ends left then. Uh, bring us home here. Yeah, man. I, I can't get behind TJ Hawkinson this year at all. I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why. You know, like I would rather have Dallas Goddard than TJ Hawkinson, even though Hawkinson often goes ahead of Dallas Goddard. Mm-hmm. You know, the bottom line with tight end, you want difference makers at the position. You want truly elite assets. Otherwise, they're just relatively replaceable because the, the amount of points that they score is just not very high. And so it's just easier to sort of get that on a weekly basis, if you're streaming or just by throwing late round darts, because later round tight ends generally perform at a similar rate as middle round tight ends do. That's that's uh, historically middle round tight ends have not been great bets. Uh, but Hawkinson, he's averaged no more than 12.1 PPR points per game through three years, uh, which came last year where he finishes the tight end six. Um, but now you have more bodies in that offense. You had the emergence of Amon Ross St. Brown, which is going to take away looks in that same area of the field. DJ Chark, who's apparently had a, a pretty good camp. And then obviously Jamison Williams could come back at some point this season. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's not like the, the thing with Hawkinson, it, it's not like we know for sure 
that he can be elite. We've never seen elite production consistently from TJ Hawkinson. If we had, you know, someone like George Kittle, right? We've, you know, he's been, he's been unhealthy and he hasn't been able to stay on the field, but we at least have seen it consistently from Kittle year in and year out when he's been healthy with TJ Hawkinson. We just haven't seen that. Um, but then on top of that, I'm going to go back to the ADP stuff. Cause I think the ADP stuff, uh, when you look at historical ADP trends, it's really, really interesting for a guy like Hawkinson. So I do a lot of work on breakout players, breakout running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, and sort of how to spot certain traits that these breakout players share. Um, and so one of the things that I look at is I, I chart uh, points per game on a Y axis with ADP on the X axis. You can find a trend line and then you can find players who exceed ADP expectation uh, based on their performance, right? So if a tight end gets drafted 50th overall, he'd be expected to score. I'll just throw out a random number, 12 points per game. Uh, but if he scores 10 points per game, then he under exceeded, he underperformed by two points per game, right? So if you look at historic, if you look at things historically, uh, things do not look great for TJ Hawkinson. Uh, breakout tight ends. So tight ends drafted after round five. That's that's generally how I've defined this. Um, but if you can find a tight end who's the top pass catcher on his team by ADP, that's great. They, they hit at a much higher rate than players who aren't the top pass catcher on their team. So Hawkinson, for instance, this year has Amon Ross St. Brown being drafted ahead of him by ADP. So he's not the top pass catcher mm-hmm. from his team. So that's, that's one bad mark, right? Uh, and then unlike wide receiver, when I was doing all this breakout stuff, quarterback play does seem to matter at the tight end position. If you get a better quarterback, uh, they generally will produce better tight ends. I think the logic behind that, because I always try to think of reasons why the data is showing mm-hmm. what it's what it's showing. I think the logic behind that is just simply that that quarterbacks, if you're good, you have a higher ADP generally if you're good. It's kind of being skewed a little bit uh, by rushing these days. But you know, good quarterbacks generally have higher ADPs, and good quarterbacks are able to get through their reads quicker, right? So if you're able to get to the tight end, then you're going to be targeting the tight end more, then they're going to score more fantasy points, et cetera. Whereas if you get some scrub quarterback, he's probably not getting to the tight end very fast. So they're not seeing as, as many looks. That's, that's to me, the logic behind it. Um, but Hawkinson doesn't have a good quarterback by ADP. So he's not the top, top pass catcher from his team, and he doesn't have a good quarterback by ADP. Since 2011, we've had 19 tight ends drafted between round six and nine of 12-team leagues who weren't their team's first pass catcher, and they had a quarterback drafted after QB 16, so a back half quarterback. So they were competing for touches, and they had bad quarterback play. Of those 19, only one of them exceeded ADP expectation by three or more points per game. So we're looking at a situation where the the odds of TJ Hawkinson really, really breaking out, really exceeding ADP expectation right now as a middle-round pick are so, so slim. I just I think a lot of people like give TJ Hawkinson the benefit of the doubt all the time. Like even when Amon Ross St. Brown broke out last year, towards the end of last year, they're like, oh, it's because TJ Hawkinson was sidelined. Well, why is TJ Hawkinson better than Amon Ross St. Brown? Like, why why can't Amon Ross St. Brown just be good? And we, we you know, TJ Hawkinson's never done anything like that before. So I I think he's just an obvious avoid, avoid middle round tight ends in general. But if you are gonna go after one of those middle round tight ends, I would just play the cost game and play the upside game a little bit more and go with a guy like Dallas Goddard. Yeah, I, I like that. And you look at Hawkinson, I mean, I think you just hit the nail on the head. It's just like, does he really ever develop into a tide-turning kind of player at the position? I mean, he's yet to rank in the top 20 in depth of target through three seasons. Um, he's had really poor yak per catch. So it's like when you have that like paired in a situation, like how do you create like any type of upside plays? I mean, he has 15 career targets on throws, 20 or more yards downfield. For context, Kyle Pitts had 12 last year. 
Um, and when you can't run and create stuff after the catch, you can't create your own touchdowns on shorter throws. And that's why just two of his 12 touchdowns so far have come from over 11 yards. Uh, and then I've said the same thing you just laid out as a later point. Why would the Lions want to go back to the offense they had the front half of last year? They shouldn't. I, why should the why is the argument Amon Ross St. Brown got those targets because those two players were out and now he's his targets are a threat coming with those two players returning? Those two the targets that those two players, DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkins, the guy with the front half, should be at more of a threat with Amon yeah. Ross St. Brown's back half of the season. Exactly. Uh, that's that's how it should be treated. Um, but it's not being treated that way. But yeah, I mean, to me that you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I'm going also with the middle round tight end who seemed to check off a lot of those boxes that you brought up with Hawkinson, except for the quarterback one. Uh, so I'm curious what you have to say about the, some ADP stuff for him. I'm going to throw in some late ADP nuggets here too. But my guy is Dalton Schultz, that tight end six. Uh, you know, he, he broke out last year, largely in part to running hot near the end zone. I mean, he was sixth in red zone scoring, uh, despite being 10th in expected red zone scoring points. Uh, he converted 43% of his red zone opportunities for touchdowns. Um, he com- converted 70% of his targets inside the 10. Travis Kelsey was the only guy higher than that. Uh, he had only five actual targets in the end zone, which was 21st at the position. A guy like Cole Komet actually had fewer. Um, and then also while like the, the, the volume and attachment to the Dallas offense like aided him last year, I mean, I can't help but just think this isn't like a situation that's not similar to the guy we just talked about in TJ Hawkinson. Like the reason Hawkinson got elevated last year, and I guess maybe this isn't even fully on Hawkinson because at least Hawkinson had elite pedigree. Right. Um, but the reason why Hawkinson got elevated to like tight end three, tight end four and ADP last year was the wide open target tree that the Lions had. And we saw that really didn't matter for fantasy football. He got the targets, but he wasn't really doing any of those explosive plays and Dalton Schultz is that same type of player. Like, where are the explosive plays from Dalton Schultz? Uh, just 10.4 yards per catch. He was just ninth in expected points per game. And he also can't hide now. There's no Amari Cooper. There's no Cedric Wilson. Uh, Michael Gallup isn't even going to be on the field for presumably a, a multiple months to start the season. The Cowboys have CeeDee Lamb and Dalton Schultz. Like, Dalton Schultz isn't just going to run around free against the defense now to start the year. Uh, which could be a problem and expose maybe some of that gap, like maybe make him like an Austin Hooper type player. Um, so, yeah. And when you look at just the ADP where he goes, that tight end six, that's historically just been a, a spot to stay away from in, in fantasy drafts. Uh, typically tight ends, you know, in that like tight end five to seven range, uh, that the lower end tight end ones produce and hit at a higher rate, just, just as they do. Uh, and, and I've always attributed that maybe as a, a factor of just like, teams get into like where they're drafting and the good tight ends are all gone. The wide receivers start to hit some tier breaks and flatten out running backs are flatten out where you're taking backups and teams start to just roster fill. They're like, Oh, I don't have a tight end yet. So I'll take the next best one. And that's why you see like historically those guys tend to be those kind of bad picks. I feel like Schultz is that kind of guy this year too. Um, Yeah. But I just feel like everyone's going to talk about the opportunity and kind of use that to propel him instead of looking at the player. And anytime we do that, it typically leads us to more bust than hits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the bottom line is this is a volume-driven play with, with Dalton Schultz, um, and it, it's it's not a good bet to make when you're looking at ceiling for these players. Like we've seen, look, we we've seen some of these types of players have like pretty big ceilings. Like like uh, Zach Ertz had that monster year where he had like a hundred and fit, like he had an absurd target share mm-hmm. and a ton of targets. But that's the argument, right? Like he needs to have an insane target share in order to get there. So just to give you an example. 
you know, we want top three tight ends, right, in fantasy football. Like, that, that's, that's what we want at the end of the day. Over the last five years, the tight end three in points per game, uh, in half PPR points per game, has averaged 12.3 points per contest. For reference, Dalton Schultz last year was at 10. So he wasn't even there last year in what we would say was a good season for Dalton Schultz. Since 2011, we've had 27 instances where a tight end hit that 12.3 mark. Uh, the lowest yards per route run among that group was 1.72, which is a number that Dalton Schultz did not even get close to last year because he's not he's not an elite athletic tight end. Like he's not this like George Kittle type player. And the average target share among those guys was above 23%. In two games last year without Amari Cooper, you know, it's a small sample size, but that's the argument, right? With with Dalton Schultz is, oh, they don't have Amari Cooper anymore. Michael Gallup's heard all this other stuff. In two games last year, he had a 17% target share without Amari Cooper. His target share across the season was in the like 16 to 17% range. So it didn't even like dramatically rise without Cooper last year. And then, yes, you know, I, I think at the beginning of the season, you might see some juice with, with Schultz where they have Noah Brown getting, getting a lot of run. Uh, and you know, they just don't have Jalen Tolbert's a rookie. So we have no idea mm -hmm. if he's going to be good or not, but the, the thing is, is, is Michael Gallup's going to be back eventually and Jalen Tolbert, what if he develops and Noah Brown, what if Noah Brown's decent? Then all of a sudden during the peak of the fantasy season, the time where you need this production to really come together, Dalton Schultz is going to have more competition, which is exactly why you're drafting him right now is because of the lack yeah. of competition. Right? So I think there's just a lot of reasons to sort of fade him. You know, from an ADP, from a historical ADP perspective, yes, he has the quarterback, but he does have that wide receiver one and CD Lamb getting drafted ahead of him from an ADP perspective, right? Like last year, just to give you an example of like what I mean by the ADP stuff, last year, Mark Andrews was a perfect example. He was the top Baltimore Ravens player being drafted after, uh, you know, that, that he was, you know, he's like a fifth, sixth round guy, um, which is where I generally uh, use as a threshold when looking at these breakout candidates and these breakout tight ends. But Mark Andrews is a perfect example of that he was the first tight end being drafted, you know, from Baltimore, from his team. Whereas you're not getting that from Dalton Schultz. You have CD lamb who's going to uh, potentially see up to a 25% target share in that offense. If he really hits this year. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not in on Dalton Schultz. You know, he's one of those guys. Again, I mentioned this earlier, Dalton Schultz is my tight end six. So it lines up with positional rankings, but I would not be drafting Dalton Schultz where he's being drafted right now. Yeah, that's one of the toughest things to kind of convey being in the spot we're in, understanding, you know, what rankings are, how to consume them, how to apply them to drafts, because the linear list doesn't do them justice. Uh, it's very tricky. It's unfortunate that, the, you know, rankings are so popular to that degree, but there's a lot of nuance that goes into play in this game and things like Debo Samuel, things like Dalton Schultz. That those are where you can kind of see like where the, the the gap in the chasm kind of is created between like rankings and how to handle players like in drafts and you know how we're approaching them. Uh, so that that's excellent stuff. Hopefully, at least if if you like those players, at least gave you some some food for thought, something to think about in drafts. Maybe some different approaches to have. As mentioned with JJ last week, I was on his show, the Late Round Podcast, and we talked about ten players we were targeting. So if you want the other angle of this and you haven't heard that. Go check out hit that show if you could do it. JJ, now you made a lot of moves this year. You, you, you left FanDuel. You're there for a number of years. You're doing your own thing. Use this forum here just for a chance for people that don't really uh, – you should know what, what JJ's up to. But if they, if they don't, you know, where can they find you? What are some of the things you're up to this season? And what are some of uh, the things you got going on? Yeah. So all my stuff's over on lateround.com. It's late round fantasy football that I started. Um, you know, I really did it cause I want to create the content exactly what I want to create. Um, you know, I, I, mm -hmm. not that I was like super handcuffed where I was at before. It's just that I was able to do like a draft guide this year, which is out there. And it's, it's more of like a, 
you know, a lot of draft guides, nothing against them because, you know, everyone does really good work, but a lot of draft guides are like player profile focused. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they talk more about like, um, you know, their, their rankings and stuff and a breakdown of their rankings. My draft guide is 90% strategy and game theory and looking at those historical ADP trends that I just talked about on the, on this show. Um, you know, I really focus on, on teaching people how to, how to be good year after year, as opposed to just how to be good in that singular season and, and drafting the right guys. It's not really my approach similar to you, Rich, but, um, yeah. So the late round draft guide you can purchase right now too. Uh, you know, you mentioned the late round podcast that can be found anywhere. Um, and I have a Patreon too, where if you want my rankings, if you want that kind of stuff, if you're into that kind of thing, I still do rankings. I still do tiers. That's all over on the Patreon. Beautiful, beautiful. That's a, that's going to put a bow on this one. Uh, we've got preseason football this week. As always, if we're preparing for football, the book behind me, you can still get it. 2022 Sharp Football Preview Book. Make sure you can go get that. That's still available on the site. Other than that, I'll be back here with Dan Pizzuta at the end of the week, you know, talking some real football, hopefully some things that happened, uh, you know, on Thursday and Friday in the games. So good luck, everybody that's drafting. We'll see you again next show.